0: Well, hello there, folks. This is The Wordsmith Speaking. Today, I'm gonna talk to you about the first part in what will be an ongoing series about how to create your own hypnotic content. So, in other uh, sections of this, I'll talk about the mechanics of recording and publishing, but I wanna break it down into specific sections to make it as easy for people to sort of fix whatever they need to focus on. One of the things my father always taught me was smart men learn from their mistakes and smarter men (laughs) learn from the mistakes of others as well. Now, I've made a lot of mistakes. So what I would advise you to do is to learn from my experience. I have a lot of different skills and a lot of different backgrounds. One of my best friends growing up used to boast that he'd done over 60 different jobs before he turned 30. I always admired that because it gave him a real sense of perspective, a real sense of diversity in both what he knew he was capable of and what he knew he liked, but getting off topic there. So today's episode is going to be about how to start your own HypnoKink website now there are two major pathways that you can do to follow this you can do the super super cheap el cheapo version uh, which is often useful for bootstrapping out of the gate uh, or if you want a website with absolutely zero ongoing maintenance costs besides the cost of domain registration so i did a lot of research and a huge amount of experimentation and took a lot of time around which combinations of free tier services from different vendors can be combined to create a snazzy looking website that loads incredibly fast and has content that's very portable, as well as being very secure, but most importantly, as minimal cost as possible. The, the second pathway Uh, is still extremely cheap in terms of overall expenses. It's gonna run you about $2.50 US a month, plus between $12 and $17 US per year for the domain registration. But out of all of the different WordPress options I've tried, different content management systems, Drupal and Joomla and various others, I think this is for the vast and overwhelming majority of people gonna be the simplest pathway. So I'll outline the free option first, not because I think it's better, but just to get it out of the way. And I'll put, as always, all of the relevant links in the show notes. So if you'd rather just click through, open up your accounts and get going, um, you can always do that. So the first thing that you're going to want to do is you're going to want to start with an email address. An email address is basically your online identity. so. Both the content of your email address, I guess I can give you a really simple version here. I was gonna cover this in another episode in this series on creating an online identity, but you'll need an email address to start using some of these services. So what I would highly suggest that you do is if you want the free option and you're not planning on sending, eh, not planning on having a huge mailbox, I would go with ProtonMail. Now, you'll get a free, proto- free at protonmail.com address. Um, and I think you can receive emails, from memory you can receive emails at a shortened version and at pm.me address once you switch that on in the settings. But you can't send from that address and sometimes that can get a bit confusing for people, unless you're paying for it, which allows you to send from the shortened address. So you get an at ProtonMail.com account. Now, what a lot of people do (laughs) is they get a free Gmail account. Gmail is basically as evil as Facebook, but for some ridiculous and completely unknown reason, manages to avoid most of the criticisms that Facebook favors, uh, has to face. I closed my Gmail account years ago and I haven't looked back and that's something that I've had for an extremely long time. I think I opened it in primary school. So yeah, I've switched all of my accounts to ProtonMail. What I use is irrelevant. What I would highly recommend that you use, rather than a free Gmail account, is a free ProtonMail account. If price is the the concern for you. Now, the, the paid alternative to that, which I don't think is necessary for what we're planning to do here because the The free cat from ProtonMail has a 500 megabyte inbox limit. So basically your inbox has to be 500 megabytes or smaller. But since you're not planning on sending or receiving huge volumes of email through this, I don't think that's, you know, going to be a problem for you. This is basically just a place for you to receive validation or verification emails and any personal correspondence or notifications. Personal correspondence from your fans, notifications from different web services that you have set up. So, the free option is to use a ProtonMail account. The paid option that I would recommend is a mailbox.org account. These guys are fantastic. Now, a small note on email encryption, big topic, I'm not gonna get into it here, but basically email is always sent in plain text unless you're using PGP, which you'll know if you're using because you'll have to set it up separately, or if you have a ProtonMail account and you're sending it to another ProtonMail account, it'll automatically encrypt it because it never leaves their servers to begin with. So uh, you should assume that all of the emails that you send and receive are being sent in plain text unless you are sending from a ProtonMail account to another ProtonMail account and uh, or you've gotten pgp working uh, which if you have well more power to you <clears throat> so mailbox has at the moment a one euro per month deal which i think is actually their baseline pricing but you get a two gigabyte inbox and what i, I like about mailbox is one of the most annoying things about having an at pm.me address is when i'm telling people over the phone what it is they're like Uh, can you spell that out for me? Whereas if I just say at mailbox.org or at protonmail.com they get it, right? It's a bit frustrating for me, just a personal thing. So, your free option is ProtonMail. Your paid option would be a one euro a month account from Mailbox, but I think it's probably overkill for what a lot of you are going to want to do with it. It's mostly useful for the mailbox.org domain name now when it comes to setting up email on your website i do not recommend that you that you give a fuck about setting up dns and all of the various security sundries so that you can have an contact at your domain name email address just fucking don't bother trust me I've been there I've wasted a shitload of time no one who is sending you an email fucking cares right just use their webmail interface or if you've got mailbox.org use postbox which I think is the best email client for Windows or spark which is the best email client for Mac again links in the show notes now that's when it comes to email. So don't worry about fucking around trying to get an admin at mindkink.net email address going, because if you ever need to move your website around, like I did when I transferred the domain, well, transferred the content from the woodsmithspeaks.com to mindkink.net, you lose all of your email address configurations because it's all tied to the same domain. And it's really a massive time sink that you just don't need. So just keep it, blah, 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 At protonmail.com. No one fucking cares. They'll just use it to contact you and in all likelihood you'll have it linked up to a form on your website so they won't even see your public email address. Uh, But I like to post it publicly because I like intelligent people to contact me and people tend to like use to use email for that rather than just banging it into a web form. Plus I get a decent amount of spam through web forms so I just put the email address on the website. So that's email. You'll need that first. Free option ProtonMail, paidoptionmailbox.org. The free option should be more than enough. Now, sometimes it can be hard to find an identity that isn't already taken by somebody else. With some time, with some inventiveness, and with all the stuff that I'll teach you in the other episode on creating a brand and identity, you'll be able to come up with a good name for yourself. But, email addresses. now. Let's talk about free websites first. So what you're gonna wanna do is you're going to want to set up an account with Stackbit. So Stackbit is a, it's a service that bolts together a bunch of different static website generation components into a cohesive jam stack, right? Um, What you're gonna wanna do is break down what a website consists of. So what a website consists of is text, images, and that's it. I guess layout would be a third option, but text and images. Now, what you're going to want to do is create a folder on your computer's hard drive, which is backed up regularly, of course, where you store all of the ingredients for creating your website, all the images that you have, and all of the text or the content of the pages of your site now I like to store everything that I write in markdown the software that I use for that is a piece of te- a piece of software called obsidian I'll create a folder called mindkink.net pages and then within that I'll have all of my different web pages as markdown files and then when I want to move that text into a web page I'll convert that to HTML so that it always renders perfectly. But the real advantage of Markdown is it's kind of a write once render pretty much perfectly everywhere. Whereas if you copy paste HTML and rich text format and Word documents, and oh, it's just fucking horrible, man. Don't do it. So write, this is what I say to do, is write everything you've got in Markdown. And then that way, your content will render pretty much the same wherever it is. Your images should be in whatever image format you want to have them in. Now, I'll put a list of tools useful for creating general websites in the show notes. Things like image compression, uh, generating a logo, that kind of stuff. Don't get caught up on a logo. A lot of people have graphic design friends, and I would get a graphic design friend to do it, but in the meantime you can bang out a really automated one that's basically driven by ai creation rules in like 10 minutes just make up a logo and go right now i'll also put some stuff in there about performance testing but again that's the last thing that you do so let's just get the basic stacks out of the way so when it comes to jamstack you want to go through StackBits interface sign up with your email address and you want to select whichever list of software I'll put in the show notes. You'll basically want to host your website on GitHub, make a free account on GitHub, which works great. I always liked Sanity as a CMS, which is a content management system. So basically what happens is, GitHub is like an online folder that stores your website. This is for static website generation. GitHub stores the actual website as a folder, basically. And again, I'm streamlining it all here, but... And then Netlify is going to actually serve your website to people. So it takes that folder and then puts it into a URL. Now, one of the cool features about Netlify is it actually allows you to, for free, render to a custom domain. A lot of other services will charge for that, which allows you to have like mindkink.net rather than mindkink.netlify.app as your URL. Very cool. So you're gonna use Netlify, you're gonna use GitHub, and you're gonna use Sanity. Now, Sanity is your content management system. So you create an account there using the same email address, and that's when you start uploading your content. Now, the cool thing about Sanity is you can just copy paste your markdown formatted text straight into it, and boom, it renders perfectly. Uh, you know, you're plugging your images, job done. Now, the hardest thing is gonna be learning to use the CMS, but it's really not that difficult. Every page is broken up into sections. Every website's broken up into pages and every page is broken up into sections. There are basic page types, which are just simple. And then there are advanced page types, which you can have multiple sections. But don't worry about layout for now. Basically just pick a theme in Stackbit that you like. You might even try generating a bunch of different ones or previewing them to see which one you like. But from my experience, they're all kind of the same. And web, web design is not really my thing. So what I found was, I think I just picked one and just kind of threw my content up there because the whole point was to have something accessible to people. Now when it comes to, and that's basically it, so you go into Netlify. Now I haven't talked about buying a domain name yet because that's kind of going to come more under the identity thing that I'll do on that, but basically name cheap is a really simple, really good way to start with buying domain names. If you're more privacy conscious, I'd go with Epic. Again, I'll put all the links in the show notes. But uh, for 99% of you, and don't think that you're part of the 1%, because unless you know that you are, you probably aren't. For everybody, I would say basically go with Namecheap. So create an account with the email address that you have, buy a domain, and then look into Netlify's help desk documents to how to link that to their name servers so that when you type in your domain, it links to Netlify, which links to the GitHub, which links to your website. And that's basically how to create a very simple static website. So you go to Stackbit, you create an account, you pick Netlify, GitHub, and Sanity as your options. You've got a basic website, and then you can start to fill it with your content content generation will be a separate episode in this series. So now you have a basic static website. Now, this thing is going to cost you whatever the renewal price for your domain name is every year. That's it. There'll be no hosting costs. There'll be no feature costs. There'll be no traffic. Well, I think if you're getting like a hundred thousand hits a month or more with Netlify, they'll start charging you, but I don't know. And I've never hit that kind of traffic. So now, this is the kind of site that you're going to want to put together if you have zero money if you want something that renders incredibly well both in mobile and uh, on a desktop. Basically if you just want a place where people can type something into the uh, you know into their web browser and find your stuff, this is it. now, I guess it's worthwhile at the end of all of this website stack talking about how to file host as well. So I'll talk about that. But let's go through a what's a dynamic website stack looks like. Now, the difference between a static website and a dynamic website is basically, and I'm simplifying this, but basically a static website is a set of text files and images along with some rules that say how they should be displayed. Whereas a dynamic website uh, has a database and some processes that run in the background. The reason that you can do a static website for free is because they use literally zero resources. They're extremely easy to run. They're also incredibly fast to load. They're also incredibly secure. All you have to do is make sure you have a secure password for the different accounts that you create with the different services and ideally enable two-factor authentication, use Authy for that, is my recommendation. And I'll put again, a link in the show notes. And you pretty much never have to worry about security when it comes to your website because there's nothing to hack into, there's nothing to break. It's just a series of text files. So as long as you protect the logins to those services, you're fine. Now, creating a dynamic website is, uh, it's about as easy, I'd say, probably a little bit easier. What you're going to want to do is, is go to Namecheap, open up an account with them using the email address that you've created and then go to their WordPress hosting. Now you don't want shared hosting or cPanel hosting. Trust me when I say it's much more difficult to install what you need to do on that. So what they've done is they've basically made a streamlined, optimized. So you just want to start a WordPress website, little package, which is I think it's like 50 cents US more expensive per month. Trust me when I say it's absolutely worth it. So go to Namecheap, pay for their WordPress hosting, not their shared hosting, not their cPanel hosting, not any of that weird shit, just their WordPress hosting. What that will give you is an extremely simple, extremely fast optimized WordPress distribution. Now, basically what happens here is Namecheap controls the server and you just kind of log in and you make your changes. And you connect it up to the domain name that you have. Now, this is why I advocate Namecheap for people is basically you buy the domain from them and then you pay for WordPress hosting from them. So the domain is about 15 bucks US a year, depending on whether you get a .com or a .net or whatever. Now, it's not a bad thing, but it can be a bit surprising in a negative way to realize that a lot of the times, the domain will be the cheapest for the first year. Like it'll be like 75% off for the first year, and then it'll go up to like 20 bucks a year. It depends on the kind of domain name that you have, the kind of dot whatever. So just make sure you're aware of that. You can make it cheaper if you go for something like a dot X, Y, Z, or one of those other newer, fancier, top-level domains. But basically, pick your domain name, go for their WordPress hosting package. Now, I'll put a list of places and resources for WordPress in the show notes, but essentially what you're gonna want to do is go to a place called GPL Vault. Now, this is a really confusing thing for me when I first discovered it, but essentially, the code for WordPress is open source, which means that they can't profit from selling it. And it means that everything that interfaces with it has to publish its source code as well. That's my understanding of the complicated legal situation that allows what I'm about to describe to exist. So what happens is technically, legally, it is not illegal to steal WordPress plugins because their source code has to be made public and can't be patented or copyrighted because it's part of that project. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but basically what happens is a bunch of enterprising individuals got together and went, well, what if we just got one copy of each of these extremely expensive WordPress plugins and made them available to people? Turns out it's apparently pretty legal. So, a lot of more expensive plugins will have some sort of ongoing subscription service to try to counteract this, but you just install the most recent version. So, here's what I would suggest that you do I'll put a list of plugins and places you can find them for WordPress. Um, basically, you go into GPL Vault, you pay for membership for a month, right? Then you download these plugins, then you immediately cancel your membership to avoid being rebuilt. You don't need to update this shit every month because eh, most of these plugins are free anyway. I think only one, possibly two, is even paid for. And all you need is the features at that given time, right? Every so often, like every year or two, you can log in, pay them another 15 bucks US and download the latest versions if you want to. But I've never done that, I've never had any problems. So, I'd recommend the Neve theme, N-E-V-E, again, link in the show notes, as it's extremely fast and very beautiful and very easy to use. So, you install WordPress, you go to the um, themes, type that in, bang, set it to auto-update, done. That's your theme now. Grab those plugins, the ones for security. Now, don't bother fucking around with things like Cloudflare, or content delivery networks, or caching, Namecheap is gonna do 95% of that for you in the background, right? Do not do, seriously, do not do what I did when I first started with this stuff, and spend literally a hundred hours of my time trying to shave a 0.3 of a second of my render time. Basically, it's a complete fucking waste of time. Do not get obsessed with optimizing and configuring Cloudflare. Now, if you want to install Cloudflare later on, you can do that. If you want to configure everything, you you can do that, but there's really no need for 90% of people or more to ever have anything like that running. If you don't know what DNS stands for, you don't need Cloudflare. That's not what you need, right? My advice would be to set all of the basics up yourself, right? Get your content generated and then get these websites built. Now let me talk a little bit about some of the extra stuff that you're going to need. So one of the problems that I had when I first started is I don't like having to constantly update a website. What I would rather do is post a link to something like a shared folder and then dump everything into the shared folder and then it'll just automatically synchronize with that shared folder. So I went through about a dozen different services. I tried Mega, I tried Dropbox, I tried whatever Microsoft's one is. Basically what I did was I settled on Trezorit because I am very security conscious. Now I use the account in my own personal life. Trezorit has a three gigabyte folder size limit, a number of other limits, and I'm assuming minimal uploads and downloads on their free account. That's what I would use if I were you for file hosting. But I'm very security conscious, and I'm very privacy conscious. Now, a note of warning. You're gonna wanna use your ProtonMail account that you have been using for all these different other services, like your Namecheap and your DNS. Um, Not DNS, just domain name. uh, With your Trezorit account. Now, one of the things I don't think they give enough emphasis to is when you create an account, it goes like this. You have to create an account, which is always a premium account, provide your credit card details, and then basically you get a two-week free trial with Trezorit and then they'll start to bill you. However, if you cancel before the two weeks, they'll kick your account down to the free tier. And as far as I know, it's the only way to access that. There used to be a direct link to sign up for that, but they switched that off. So, what you're gonna do if you wanna create a Trezorit account is create your account, put your credit card details in, then immediately go in and cancel your subscription, but keep your account. This might sound like a lot of extra work, and it kind of is. One more caveat before I forget when it comes to Trezorit. So when it comes to Trezorit, you cannot change the name that you use when you're creating the account. So if you're like me and you used your first name So when you create your account, put in whatever name, no one cares, that you wanna put down for yourself, whatever alias. You know, like if you were a content creator, you'd put your content creation name and then for your second name, you might put the same thing. Whatever you wanna do, but be aware that you cannot change this in any way after you've created your account. You cannot change the email address that is associated with the account. So use the email address that you're using for all of this stuff, this identity that you're creating for HypnoKink stuff, and make sure that you're very happy with the name that you pick. Personally, I would just put in John Smith. It's obviously a fake name, but it's the email address that people will look for when they click the file sharing link, not the the name they have. Now, if all this sounds like a bit too much work for you, and you're not as security conscious as I am, I take the privacy of the people that enjoy my content very seriously. Everything in Trezor is encrypted end to end. The reason that you can't change your name or your email address is that's baked into the encryption certificates that are used so that no one can pretend to be you. If security isn't that high of a priority for you and you still want a really good service, use box.com. Do not use Dropbox, it's a steaming piece of shit. Their desktop app is is a masterclass in how not to design a user interface. It's that terrible. So if I were you, I'd use Box.com. It has a slick, simple interface, kind of like the way Dropboxes used to be before they tried to fuck everything up and did such a good job at fucking it up. And it just works. Their free accounts are very generous. Um, The links are nice and short and simple. Now what you do for content hosting is you create a folder and then you link the folder rather than linking to individual files within that folder. Um, If you want an example of this, look at my website. You click a link for the resources folder, but it doesn't take you to a particular file within that. It takes you to the whole folder. This allows me to upload anything I want into that folder without having to worry about the links changing and becoming dead links or people getting lost or clicking on the wrong thing. I just put everything in the folder. This is kind of a thing for me and I'll I'll mention why, but because it might be a thing for you too as a content creator. It really shits me off when people make their stuff hard to get to, right? One of the things my father and I would always talk about is when people wanna give you their money, don't stop them and don't make it hard for them. When they want to buy something from you, don't make it difficult. Don't make it artificially difficult. When when they're buying a product from you online, you don't need for them to type in their physical address or anything but their email address. Right? I'm sure there's a tax reason why they need your physical address, but don't worry about that, right? Just When you're selling things online, don't make people type in their full name and their email address and their email address again, and their physical address and their delivery address for something they're about to download with two clicks. Just make them type in their email address because that's all you need. Plus it kind of goes with that whole collect only the information required to complete the transaction. Their address is irrelevant because they're downloading something from you, right? So yeah. I want people to be able to click two buttons and dump a collection of all of my content, which is why I put everything in a shared folder, rather than putting it all as individual products behind a paywall. You know, you can listen to podcast episodes on the podcast, right? Or you can click one button and you can get the folder, which contains everything. All the podcast episodes, all my audio files, all of it, right? I do that because I care. I do that because when I find great content, I hate having to click a million links and open up a million tabs and go through a fake checkout process for all these quote unquote free products where they just put it in the store and set the price to free so that you have to put your information in anyway. I hate it. So everything's in the folder. You just click a button, download everything, job done. There you go, you're welcome. So that's file hosting. Now, don't bother fucking around with WordPress plugins for file hosting or or hosting it all on your WordPress site itself. Updating all that shit is really difficult. Just put it in resource folders like I have, right? One link for everything. Okay, so, next topic. Mailing lists. Now, when it comes to mailing lists, I tried about eight different pieces of software opened up accounts, used them for a couple of months. This is going back over a few years now. The one that I would recommend is called Button Down. Basically, they used to be a really, really awesome service for minimal, extremely simple email newsletters, right? And then of course, they got bought the fuck out by MailChimp and everyone was really angry, so a guy got together with a bunch of friends and coded up a replacement, which basically did the same thing as the original piece of software did, except better. So it's free for less than a thousand subscribers, and you can write in Markdown, so you can write all your notes or your emails to people in Markdown, store them in Obsidian, and have them render perfectly in your emails. I don't tend to use it a lot because I don't like marketing at some point I'm sure I'll have someone volunteer to help me with that. If you are interested, get in touch. I'm happy to pay you for it. I just, I'd rather produce content than tell people about it. So that's what I use for my my newsletter. You can put a capture form on your website. The interface is fantastic. Trust me when I say I've tried everything. And some services have a very generous free tier, like uh, MailChimp, again, will allow you to have up to a thousand email addresses, but MailChimp, as my grandfather would say, is the equivalent of trying to open someone's door using a bazooka. It is so big, so powerful, so difficult to configure, you'll spend hours just getting it working to begin with, right? It's designed for marketing companies who are sending tens of thousands of emails a day. And you can scale it all the way down, right? But it's not what it's designed for, which is why they bought that separate product. I think it was like Red Balloon or something. I can't recall the name of it, don't quote me on that. But they bought a very simple email newsletter just so they could, you know, serve that niche. Now a lot of people went, well shit, now that they're owned by Mailchimp, they're gonna drive it into the side of a fucking cliff just like Oracle always did when they bought something cool. And surprise, surprise, Mailchimp hasn't, uh, hasn't disappointed in that regard, which is why button-down is the best version that exists, the best, Minimal email newsletter. All you want is to gather up people's email addresses and send them relevant emails about your content, right? It allows you to do everything that you want to do for free until you have more than a thousand subscribers, in which case you can pay the very reasonable fees per month. So again, free. Using the free account on Box.com, also free. that's email newsletters, file hosting. Yeah, I think that basically covers the website side of things. So let me summarize and then tell you where I'd go from there. Here's how I would do it if I was starting from scratch. I would, I would get a mailbox.org email account, right? When I was building all this stuff, I was obsessed with saving as much money as possible because the goal was never to generate any income from this. I wish that worked, right? I wish that giving stuff to people for free made them appreciate the value of what they were receiving, but there was someone in my life a long time ago who <laughs> who used to charge what I thought was an absolutely obscene hourly rate for what she did. She's incredible at it. She's absolutely mind-blowingly good. She is par excellence. and. I asked her, you know, how much do you charge per hour? And she's like, this amount. I'm like, holy shit, are you serious? Like, that's a shitload of money. And then she broke it down for me. And it's not just the physical realities of it, it's, and I guess this is probably more into the publishing and distribution side of things, but basically people value the content that you produce equal to what they have to give up in order to obtain it, right? So by giving everything away for free, the goal was always for me to do as much good as possible, right? I don't want any kind of paywall between myself and the people that need my work. And I never wanted someone to be turned away. You know, it's why I used to teach classes in Melbourne and I'd price them at 15 bucks and I'd still get people writing me long bitchy emails complaining that 15 bucks was too much for them. I'm like, I can't price it any cheaper than that. I'm literally like making nothing out of this. I'm, I'm, this, if I get 10 people to pay 15 bucks, it just covers the cost of me getting transported to the venue and venue hire. Like, you know, at no point was I dumb enough to go into the, into the red, but this is just covering venue hire, right? I don't think I got many emails from people saying, holy shit, your workshops are amazing for the price, let me bring all of my friends, you know? So I wish that giving stuff away for free worked, but it doesn't, it just doesn't. If you wanna run a website that is just a collection of links to content that you've made, and you want it to be absolutely minimal in cost and be extremely fast, I would build a static website, right? Get a free Proton Mail account, go to Stackbit, Netlify, GitHub, Sanity, create your content using whatever software we'll talk about in that section of the episode, different episode, not this one, and then publish that and forget about it. Right? Don't worry about having dynamic forms on your website. Don't worry about fanciness. Just make it a place they can go on the internet with a single URL to access all your content, which is hosted on the free services of a file hosting provider, like box.com. Your website basically acts as like a central crossroads for people to come to you, find your content, and then go to where your content actually is being hosted. So, the other thing I, I did for a while, which is kind of off topic, but yeah, vaguely relevant is I used a website called I think it was DocuWiki or Wikidocs or something like that Basically, it used to be a piece of desktop software which they then discontinued and turned into a cloud service And they had a very generous free um, option And I put all of my content in there because I wanted to create it all like a wiki Have everything linked up together um, Huge waste of time, literally massive waste of time And then I evolved from that into publishing everything in Markdown, and just putting it out as as eBooks. And I'll talk about that in the content publishing podcast. So that's how to create a static website. That's gonna cost you nothing to run per year, but the price of the domain name renewal, which will be about 15 bucks a year, right? Sometimes I think you might get a discount from Namechip if you pay for like multiple years, but I don't know if that's guaranteed, so don't quote me on that. I guess if you're really invested in domain name, you can, uh, you know, pay for it for five years in advance. The other option we haven't talked about, which is good for static websites, which is something that I explored in terms of increasing the resiliency of my website, is using a piece of software called Publi. Now this is not what I would advise you to do because I don't like blogging, I hate blogging, and their software is amazing for generating static websites that are also blogs. Not so much for creating static websites, but it's for creating static websites that are mainly blogs. It's a piece of desktop software and basically you plug your content into it, you can use Markdown, which is fantastic, and it spits out a folder, which is essentially your website. And then you can host that on any number of different services. So you can host it on Amazon, you can host it on, I'm assuming the Google Cloud, you can host it on any kind of web server, but that's a useful option if and only if you want to start up a blog of your own, which I never really wanted to do because I hate blogging, I hate typing. It's fucking boring. But that's another option for a, for a static website. The other thing with Publy is it gives you a huge amount of resiliency. What you can do is you can either sign up for multiple accounts with the same provider, like say for example you can create a bunch of different email addresses for free, and then create different uh, free tier Amazon hosting accounts using those same email addresses. And then if someone puts out a copyright strike or a bunch of insane lunatics get together and decide they want to drive you away from kink, you can have your website taken down, and then within five minutes, just mirror it somewhere else. And it'll just push your your website to a different hosting service, one of the many that you have configured. It gives you an absolutely insane amount of resiliency against takedown attempts. So that's an option, but all of the templates are designed for blogs. You can twist it through loops to make it into a website creation tool, but it's really not what it's designed for. It has a very small user base, the rate of improvements is quite slow, and there's not a billion dollars behind it like there is with WordPress. So it's a niche piece of software that does a very niche thing extremely, extremely well. If you want to generate a static blog and then push it to any number of different hosting providers, Publi is the software you want. What I would advise you to do, though, is if you have any intention of generating any income at all from your website, I would advise you to go the WordPress option. It's gonna make it way easier for you to hire a designer to put the site together for you. You'll have a huge pool to choose from. Configuring the site itself is way easier. Trust me, if you've spent three hours trying to get Snipcart working like I have on static websites, just go with WordPress, right? You can pay a lot for hosting Um, For a while I was with Bluehost and then I tried Hostgator. I've tried like six or seven different WordPress hosts over the last 10 years. Just go with Namecheap. It's super, 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 super simple. Get your domain from them, one place. Get your hosting from them, one place. Plug it all together. And you'll end up with a website that you can log into. Use the use the plugins that I'll give you in the show notes, use the theme that I'll give you in the show notes, and you'll have a basic bare bones site that looks amazing. Literally from start of registering your ProtonMail account, I'd say an hour tops, just putting it all together. Like that's, it's that simple, right? Once you know what to look for, once you have to go through, and this is kind of the point of the episode, once you don't have to go through the literal decades of exploring and experimentation, figuring out which services work best in conjunction with other services. The whole point of this series is to save you a shitload of wasted time, right? Like, I don't want you going out there and spinning up your own LAMP stack and then exploring with Linux and then trying to host everything on a Raspberry Pi, like I did. Um, I don't want you going out there and turning an old phone into a web server, like I did. Just pay them $2.50 a month Use the super simple backup option that they give you, You know, do a manual backup every week of your website content. Store everything in Markdown. Again, I'll talk about that and, and different uh, file types and optimizations for that in a different episode. But that will give you a website. When it comes to file hosting your resources, that's what I haven't talked about, stores. Well, I'll talk about it at the end. When it comes to file hosting, I'd probably use WordPress for your website, configured the way that I've suggested. I would probably use Um, box.com. Trezor, it's a little bit more difficult to get set up, and if you're not as obsessed with security as I am, makes no difference. I think think everything from memory that's stored in Dropbox is end-to-end encrypted. Uh, No, it's not. I think it is encrypted on their servers, but they can still access your content. Not a huge problem, really. so yeah, I'd use WordPress the way I've outlined it. I'd use Box.com for your file storage services. I would use Button Down for your email newsletter. Now, when it comes to setting up a web store, this is a separate thing. So Shopify is expensive as fuck, in my opinion. Way overpriced. Plus, I think they also take a percentage. I'm not sure. Um, I'm only doing a very small amount of volume at the moment through the website. I had some extremely generous people, several, thank you, who bought my How to Train Your Submissive program through uh, Gumroad, which I initially chose because it charges no ongoing, uh, like rent fees. There's no per month fee when it comes to Gumroad. You can just stick your content up there and if someone buys one copy of it a year, they take a percentage of that, which I thought was pretty reasonable. Now, if you're not planning on doing a lot of volume, um, that's what I'd advise, Gumroad. It's super simple to set up. However, you are gonna to wanna to get a graphic designer to create some cover art for you. When it comes to cover art, I think Canva is a good service. I don't have a huge amount of experience in this and I'm looking into hiring a graphic designer to build some pretty pictures for the website myself. So. Not an area I have a huge amount of experience in myself, but um, there are a number of AI-based tools that can be used to generate content as well. One of the ones that I have used is Copysmith.ai. If you go to AppSumo, A-P-P-S-U-M-O, they occasionally have deals on stuff like that. Basically, Copysmith uses the GP3, I think it's called. AI model to generate text from input statements, and it's pretty good. Um, But that's how you generate ad copy texts for your website if you don't want to write them by hand. Usually what you do is you generate them based on the AI and then you tweak them by hand to make them perfect. But that's another tool you can use, put that in the show notes, along with all of the image compression stuff that you'll need, but that's really sort of venturing more into the content generation side of things which I'll touch on in much more detail in a different episode. So, that's how to set up a website. One of two ways, the super free budget way, or the pay $2.50 US plus, sorry, per month, plus 15 bucks per year way, which is very reasonable, I thought. How to do file hosting, how to do your email newsletter, and how to do a store. Now, I would do it through Gumroad. If I was moving more content, or if I intended to move more content, I might choose something different. I have used get DPD in the past, which I think is a really good paid option. However, they are $10 US a month, regardless of whether you sell anything or not. So I think if you're moving a bit more volume, their percentage take is a bit lower. They are a little bit harder to configure, not very difficult, but still a little tricky. Um, What I like about Gumroad is basically it's a storefront. I can just list my stuff up there, you guys click a link, you go there. It doesn't really matter whether it's embedded properly in my website or whether it's hosted properly or whether the CSS lines up the way it's supposed to. It's just click this link if you want to buy some stuff from me. So I like the simplicity of that. Don't fuck around with Snipcart, don't fuck around with some sort of, I mean I guess WooCommerce, but. I can't speak to that because I have no experience with WooCommerce myself. So I guess we're getting more into like the web design side of things and this is, I don't have a lot of experience with web design. I have a lot of experience with web technology, but uh, yeah, I guess WooCommerce is probably an option if you have some experience with that. I've never used it myself so I can't recommend or say not to use that but uh, get DPD is 10 bucks US a month. I moved away from that because it was just eating into my profit margin, right? Like if I'm selling one product every three months and that product is $30, then get DPD is just paying for itself. Whereas, you know, with Gumroad, it just sits there in the background when someone buys something, almost all profit, minus the take, the percentage they take from you. So. That's how to build a website one of two ways, file hosting options, how to do an email newsletter, and how to set up the actual storefront for your website. Now, I suppose the final thing to mention in the interests of completionism is hosting audio in such a way that people don't need to download anything. Now, Soundgasm is what I would use for that. SoundCloud was very big for a long time uh, until they started basically banning erotic hypnosis practitioners and their content essentially at random from what I understand. Oh, fuck that's good chai. (sighs) So I wouldn't use SoundCloud, I'd use Soundgasm. From what I understand, they're essentially designed to host erotic audio links almost specifically. And they have a lot of integration with Reddit. Reddit is something I don't have any real experience with. Um, I can't say I've ever really spent more than ten minutes browsing the site to be honest with you. I don't really understand how it all works uh, so I can't speak for or against it as I'm loath to do that unless I have practical experience firsthand. So Soundgasm is where you're going to want to host any audios that you want people to be able to stream without necessarily needing to pay you first or wanting to download those audios themselves. Create an account on Soundgasm using the email address that you have. Upload your audios with a description. Now again, this is why Markdown is useful because it's readable even in its non-rendered form. So what I used to do was copy-paste the markdown descriptions of my audio straight into the description section on Soundgasm. And even if there's a couple of asterisks here and there for bolding, even though it doesn't render in formatting, it's still human readable. When you're creating audio, always make sure that you give a detailed description of the content, what it's designed to do, and ideally a full and complete script of whatever's actually in those recordings. But uh, all of the stuff that I have on Soundgasm is designed to help people and to be distributed for free. So I don't have as much experience in that area as someone who's making a shitload of money out of it does. You might like to copy what the secret subject does or someone who's more well known in how they post their content descriptions on Soundgasm. But it is the option I would recommend if you want people to stream audio from you. The other option that you can use is uploading your audio into WordPress, into your site itself, and then creating an embedded audio player that links to that. So here's how I would do it, and here's how I plan to do it in the future, is create a separate page your website that's basically just a list of all the audios that you send out to people for free or that you distribute to people for free and then I would have embedded players at the top so upload the file link to the embedded player and then at the bottom in the same order that the audio is in from top to bottom I would put all the content warnings so that that's there for people to read but so that they don't have to scroll down through six pages of content warnings to get to the audio file they actually want. So I'd put all the content warnings on the same page, the content descriptions. I don't like the term content warnings. Content descriptions works better for me. On the same page, right, and wherever you distribute that audio. So I'd put your content descriptions on Soundgasm in the descriptions section for each audio. If you were embedding audio into a page on your website. How I do it is create a dedicated page, audios, put all of my streaming audios up through an embedded player, which you can do through one of the plugins, Elementor I think has something like that. You just click and drag, link it to a particular audio file, upload the audio file, done. And then put the content descriptions on the same page. If you are distributing content through a resources folder, I would put all of the MP3s, or whatever format you choose to export your audio in, in a folder. And then I would put all of the content warnings in a text file, not a Word document, possibly a PDF, but you want something that can be opened by anyone's phone. So, everywhere you publish the content, you publish the content descriptions as well and I'd put a text file with all of the content descriptions in the same folder that all of the hypnotic audios are in because you can't attach them to an individual MP3 file unless you want to get funky with the tag system, which I've never really done. I prefer the flexibility of putting them in the actual text file or as a PDF in the same folder. So content descriptions would be the title of it, and then Basically, just having them in the same order from top to bottom that you have your audio files in. So when you're producing your content now, I like to number things so that most systems will put them in the same order from top to bottom. But when I was initially doing this, it was just whatever the title of the audio was. Which meant that I had to be very careful in the way that I ordered the content descriptions as well. Putting numbers in front works much better. So that's how you host your audio. That's how you set up a store, a website, one of two ways, file hosting, and a mailing list. Now, the one thing I haven't talked about yet is group chats. Now, this is how I would do it from now on or from if I were starting from scratch. I'd set up a WordPress site. I'd use box.com for my uh, file hosting. I'd use button down for my mailing list with a form on my website to capture those details. I would embed into my website all of the audio files that people wanted to listen to for free streaming. Um, Soundgasm doesn't really have any social networking features, so it's difficult for people to kind of accidentally stumble across your content. So doesn't, it doesn't really serve any purpose besides hosting it. Um, so I'd put it all, all of the publicly available stuff on my website. And if you wanted to hide something, I guess you could put it on a hidden page Um, if there was some private content you wanted to host on your website. But you're gonna have enough of a bandwidth limit and upload limit in terms of megabytes, file storage through Namecheap that you shouldn't have to worry about that. Unless you're uploading like more than 10 gigabytes of content, you should be fine. And then I'd use Gumroad for my web store And I would create a Telegram channel, not a Discord channel. Uh, Again, I'm not making thousands of dollars a month out of this, so if you want to copy someone that actually is and is doing that, have at it. But I don't really like the atmosphere of Discord. I don't think a lot of really useful things come out of Discord. I would tend to create a Telegram channel just to keep people updated about the, uh, the notifications, but that's different from a group chat. Now, I've not done this now at this point in time. I have a Signal group chat instead. Um, Mostly because when I set that up, I was very security and privacy conscious. So I thought, well, you know, we'll use Signal. It's encrypted. It's got great group chat functionality now. Um, Sweet as. And a surprisingly large number of people now have Signal installed. If I was going for anonymity, I'd probably use Threema and set up an entirely anonymous group chat through Threema. Um, I guess I used the group chat for different things than most people would use it for. So let me explain what that is and how that's a bit different from something like Discord or Telegram. Essentially, I find that most online communities are extremely bottom heavy, not in the sexual bottom sense, like in in the sense that there's three or four creators maybe 10% of people that actively contribute and the rest of the people, you know, 90% or so, essentially just consume content, drop in to lurk, say a couple of words here and there and don't really contribute anything useful to the conversation. They ask the same dumb questions over and over again because they don't know any better, it's not their fault, because education in hypnokink is fundamentally broken, I'm gonna do an episode on that soon and what we can do to fix that. But it's just a small core of people that actually want to contribute and the rest is total dead weight. It is useless to have 20,000 people on your Telegram channel or 50,000 people on your Discord server if only 10 of them are actually contributing anything. The metric that's used, it should not be total number of people on your server or even total number of people that actively post random bullshit all the time. Some servers are very active and they just make you stupider being on them. Well, I mean, if you're into bimbo or IQ play, that's, <laughs> I guess that's sometimes the point, but that's not why I go there. I go there to try to learn things or contribute something that no one else knows. So the group chat was done as an invite-only thing. You click on the link, and it sends me a notification that someone wants to join. And then I reply to that person with, Hey, so what do you bring to the group? What kind of experience do you have? What kind of skills do you have? What have you done so far? What are you curious about? There's kind of an interview process over text. Just to get a feel for somebody. And so I use the Signal group chat to create a highly curated list of complete experts. There are people from every continent all over the world. There are hypno-kink content creators, there are dominants, there are podcasters, there are website guys. We're talking like the design, the idea behind this was like people that have real practical experience or people that want to have real practical experience. And to gather all those people together so that what happens is someone posts a question And then 10 other people jump in and say, well, actually I've tried this and I've tried this and this is how I solved it. And it's, I'm familiar with the concept of a mastermind, but I don't know whether this is that because I don't know anything more about a mastermind than the name, but in a sense, this is designed so that you can ask people questions who have a very good chance of being able to find the answers. So we've got heaps of content creators, heaps of people that have done this for years, people that have been in 24 seven relationships for a decade or more. And everyone brings a really diverse and interesting and experienced background, which is not to say that no one can apply. Everyone is welcome to apply. You just have to say what it is that you're willing to contribute. I don't want the group to get bottom heavy. And that's the point of having a signal group chat versus a more open channel like a Telegram chat or a Discord server, is I want the ratio of people that contribute to be very high. So that's why I have Signal as our group chat platform and not something like Telegram or Discord. And now more that I think about it, I'm thinking I'm pretty happy with the way things are going with the Signal chat. But you might have a different purpose behind your group chat, which is why I outline my purpose in case it may differ from yours. A lot of content creators, I think uh, Nimja has a Discord server. Secret Subject has a Discord server. A few of the others might have Discord servers that are private. Um, and they can be very useful because there are a lot of people already on Discord servers. Whether those people provide any kind of value is an entirely different question. But I guess as someone that's making a significant amount of money off of this, you want to kind of go to the mountain so to speak. You want to kind of go to where the people that are likely to want your content are. And it helps because discord's free and a lot of people are already on it. So the amount of friction to getting more people on your server is usually very low, which is why, which is why the number of people on your discord server is a useless metric. It's even why the number of people who are actively posting on your discord server is a useless metric because so much of it is just random, totally useless noise the noise to signal ratio is very high. So there's a lot of mindless posting. Again, mindless posting, sometimes that's the point. Um, Not the useful or sexy kind of mindless posting. It's just fluff, random noise, garbage. It doesn't educate anyone, it doesn't connect anyone. It's just totally useless and a massive time sink. But if you're a content creator and you wanna kind of create a domain where people can come who are fans of your content and perhaps connect with other people who are fans of your content, then setting up a Discord server for yourself is not a terrible idea. However, it's not something that I would recommend doing out of the box. You need critical mass of people. I'd say a couple of hundred subscribers to your email list, or if you have a Patreon, a couple of hundred people paying you, if not more, before you think about setting up a Discord server. These things require a a baseline number of individuals to actively contribute in order to stay relevant. The other thing that's really interesting as a content creator about Discord servers is... now this is not meant to be interpreted as an attack on anyone, not at all, but I've noticed that when it comes to hypno-kink content creators there's a couple of different ways that they interact that seem to have been learned through experience. So If you look at the usage patterns of secret subject, she tends to drop in pretty frequently, and she likes to engage with people socially. It's one of the best things about her personality, actually. If you look at Nimja, now I've never been on his server, as you have to be a Patreon of his to do that, but uh, from what I understand, he's also fairly active there too. That can be a good thing. It can also be a massive, massive distraction. If you're an independent content creator and you're trying to make a chunk of money out of this stuff, it's good to engage with your audience. But be wary of over-engaging with your audience. If you have a choice between producing content or engaging with your audience, always pick producing content, right? Now, this is my personal opinion, but I've noticed that what Shibby does, Kinky Shibby, is it seems to be the longest term view and the healthiest overall mindset, which is to say that she basically doesn't interact with her fans at all, unless she's producing content. From what I've observed, and this is only my personal experiences, she doesn't get caught up in politics. Her server is basically one rule, whatever I want goes, whatever I say is the law. So she doesn't get caught up in codes of conduct or adjudication. I think she has someone else actually running her Discord server for her, which seems to be quite common. A lot of these content producers will have like a right hand man or woman to actually moderate them. And again, I think that's a massive time sink, total waste of time, in my opinion. But uh, she basically doesn't engage with her audience unless she's doing a live recording, which I think is actually really clever and very sustainable long-term, right? As a content creator, your mental health is very important to the quality of the work that you produce. And I know we're getting a bit off topic when it comes to the website here, and we'll talk about this more in the production episode, but why you do this is very important to you. For some people, it's to make an obscene amount of money, right, and there are people out there that are making very good money. For other people, it's the validation as well as the money. For people like me, I suppose, and not to you know toot my own horn or anything, it's to try to do as much good as possible. That's why I've been not only slow, but incredibly reluctant to monetize any of my work. I don't want that to be a barrier between someone that needs help and the thing that they need to listen to or to read or to learn that will help them. I want to minimize the amount of friction between, <sighs> minimize the friction. <sighs> I want to minimize the amount of friction between someone who needs something for whatever reason and their ability to get it. Right, It's why I put all my content on Soundgasm because I was hosting a static website and you can't really embed I'm sure there is a way, but don't waste your time trying to figure it out. Embed content into a page like that. So you just provide a link where they can get everything off Soundgasm, which does it all for you. I didn't want to put any barriers in place between my content and people in case somebody needed something and they couldn't get it. I would hate for that to happen. So the primary purpose of my work has been and will probably always be to do as much good to as many people as possible. It's why I put so much work into the resources folder as a singular collective location for all of my content because I know how frustrating it can be having to find a person, having to browse through their work, having to figure out what's good for you, what's not good for you. I want people to be able to dump a copy of everything I've made and go through it at their leisure and have the raw audio files as MP3s and the raw PDFs in their physical possession in case something ever happens to the website. So that they have that. They can take value and inspiration and hope and empowerment from that. I'm not a huge fan of Discord, both as a company. I think they're... Their authoritarian content moderation policies are just another angle of how big tech is interfering in the lives of ordinary people. I'm not a big fan of how a lot of these places seem to be just a massive waste of time. As a content producer, it's easy to get stuck into the dopamine trap of endless validation seeking. I think what Shibi has done with her hands-off-ish approach to interacting with her fans is the healthiest one for a long-term viewpoint. It might seem very tempting at first to post a piece of content and send out a notification and then just stare, waiting for those notifications to come back. And it's, in my experience and in many other people's experience, not nearly as fulfilling as producing the next piece of content would be. It's why I haven't even bothered drafting up a single newsletter in the last year and a half, because I'd rather be producing content. Obviously that's going to have to change now. I do want people to start being aware of the, some of the stuff that I've produced in the last, you know, year and a half that's brand new. And The socially responsible way to do that is to help them to find it, even if it's free. So that's just a couple of thoughts on the right attitude to have as a content producer for long-term success. I hope that helps. If you have any questions about any of the content in this episode, feel free to send me an email through the website, mindkink.net. And I hope that this, even if I never hear from you, I hope that you will take this and use this to produce your own content. Now, there's two more things I wanna talk about before we wrap this up. One is that one of the primary objectives of the Mindkink project has always been to empower and facilitate other content creators, right? That's what this series of episodes is gonna be about is I don't want you to have to become a web design expert and spend a year and a half fucking around with static website design to figure out the best combination of the three or four services that you actually need. I want you to just go bang, 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 done. Content production time, right? I want you to be able to throw up a skeleton website that routes correctly on the internet to a domain that you own in less than an hour, not three or four years of experimentation trying to find the right WordPress theme, getting lost, looking at security plugins, right? Once you get to the stage of having your own website, your own WordPress site or your own static site, but more likely your own WordPress site, you might like to pay somebody a couple of hundred bucks to build you a really pretty website based on the foundations that you've established. But the Namecheap WordPress hosting domain name combination will basically set you up in a really strong foundation. Don't worry about optimizing things like content delivery networks or the size of images on your site. You can do all of that later on. In fact, I might do an extra episode depending on how I feel about that kind of thing, but it's it's already a very niche thing, right? There are not a lot of people out there that have expressed an interest in having their own website. Most people would rather consume content rather than produce it, but that's not the important thing here. One of the primary objectives of my project with Mindkink was always to empower and facilitate other content providers. To give them the tools and the understanding and hopefully the inspiration to say, well, the second thing that I wanted to talk about. If you are a content producer and you want to make your own content Do it, just do it. You have something unique that you can offer to the world and you may or may not know what that is yet. And if you do, fantastic, lean into it. If you don't, get amazingly good at producing the content that you produce, and it will come to you, I promise. One of my favorite quotes is from Bruce Lee, and this is where I'll wrap things up. Take what works for you, throw away what doesn't work for you, and then add in what is uniquely your own. So take from all of the content that I've produced, whether it's the podcast or the resources folder or the hypnosis scripts or the brainwashing audios or the bedtime stories or the group chat, whatever it is that I've made, take what works for you and throw away what doesn't, right? If you don't want to start a signal group chat and you want to put it on Discord instead, do that, do, do you. You do you. But don't forget, to add in what is uniquely yours. You... You are a unique individual. You have a unique combination of skills and strengths, of potentials, of resources, of life experiences that form You, you have something unique that you can offer to the world. I know that you might disagree with me. I'm happy to inform you that you're wrong on this. You are unique. And if you want to produce hypno kink content, or I guess just general content, get in touch with me. I'm happy to take the time to set up a phone call and and guide you through the process, talk about the specific problems that you might have, because my goal has always been to see not just a dozen people worldwide. I mean, Lex makes some amazing hypnoporn, right? Easily the best in the world, from my opinion and from my experiences. Maybe there is someone better, but don't look at that and think that you can't do that. I mean, consider the business case for it first. But don't look at that and think it's so polished. He has such a huge back catalog, snazzy website, incredibly attractive models. I could never do that, right? You can do your version of whatever content that you want to make, right? A website is just a tool, right? All of this series is just to provide you with the tools so that they don't stop you from doing what you're called to do, from producing the content that you're called to produce. Now, I haven't spoken about YouTube when it comes to mind like that, but I uh, I don't have any personal experience publishing on that platform, so I can't speak to it. Just as an aside. but. Whatever tool or platform that you use, your website will likely form the hub of that. Don't look at what other people have done. Don't look at Nimja's hundreds and hundreds of audio files and think, I could never do that. Don't look at secret subjects work and think, I could never be that good, right? You can be yourself. Take from this what works for you. Throw away what doesn't. If you don't want a mailing list, don't have one. It is the best way, I think, to keep in touch with people. It's your choice. And then, but most importantly, add in what is uniquely your own. If you want to make hyper-specific brainwashing content and charge heaps of money for it, great, do that. But don't think that you can't do that. Sometimes, There is not a business case for it. Sometimes it's going to be a hobby and your website's going to be free. It's going to cost you 15 bucks a year, but you're not planning on making any money out of it. It's just something that you do because you love it, right? Kind of like writing erotic fan fiction, right? It's like you do it because you love it and you want to share that joy with the world. But don't think that you can't do that. If you've, if you've consumed someone's content and you've thought, I could never be that good, I guarantee you there was a time in that person's life where they thought the exact same thing and they're where they are now, now. They didn't pop out of the womb with a pre-built website and a brand and a legion of fanatical, obsessive followers. You know, They built that over time. If that's what you want to do, you can do that. Don't undersell yourself. There are so many small content creators out there that produce an audio here or a photo manipulation there. And if that's all they ever wanna do, fantastic. The world is better for the contributions that they make to it, in my opinion, right? because it has something that it wouldn't have without them. There's something unique about their work that comes from the uniqueness of themselves. Everyone can be taught to do something that everybody else can physically do, right? I can teach anybody how to play basketball. I can't teach someone how to be eight feet tall but I can teach someone how to do the things other human beings can do. If you're looking at a content creator and thinking, I could never do that, you can. Don't undersell yourself. Don't sell yourself short. If you have something that you wanna make, no matter how niche it is, do it, right? Believe in yourself to the point where if you were the friend of that person, that you would respect them and admire them for the work that they do. Just treat yourself that same way, right? I look forward to the day when I see a thousand hypno-kink content creators out there. Not just 15 or 16 worldwide, right? It's, when you start digging into this, it's surprising how few of them there are. And maybe there are good financial reasons for that. Maybe the marketplace just isn't large enough. You know, they all seem to have settled into their various niches. But if that's what's holding you back, if you're saying, I could never have a website, you know, to showcase my content, or I could never have a resources folder or a mailing list, now you have the tools to do that. That was the purpose behind this episode, right? So make the content that only you could make. Take joy and pleasure in doing that. In taking what works for you, throwing away what doesn't, and adding in what is uniquely you. And I think that's a good place to wrap things up. Thank you for listening. It's always a pleasure. This has been The Wordsmith. Thank you for listening to The Mind King Podcast. I hope that you found it useful, and that you will implement the things you've learned to bring more joy into your life. You can find more content including the free book, a folder of templates and printable handouts, heaps of audio files, and much more at the website mindkink.net. Feel free to send me a short email, or to get in touch using the details on the contacts page. I always enjoy hearing from people who have benefited from my work.